How you doing? You doing good? Praise God. Turn to the person next to you and say, you look so good I could kiss you. Come on, just, so if you were any better looking, I'd kiss you right now. It's so good to be with you. I, I got to tell you, I actually flew in just a day or two ago, had a chance to be uh, at the, uh, the golf tournament in the hills of Austin, and then drove out here. And I got to tell you, you live in some of the most beautiful part of the United States anywhere. Wouldn't you agree? It is just stunning just to, just to be, I, I find it quite refreshing, just, uh, just awesome. And you're driving in and there's all these, I love the, uh, what is it, the Ranger, the, the Texas Rangers station. And then you've got like a, a vineyard. Then you've got um, this eclectic yard sale out the front of someone's with the most bizarre I don't know what they are. Wind chimes? Is that what they are? And uh, and then the next thing you know, there's there's the you know the cattle, the the longhorns, and I'm thinking, my gosh, this place is cool. I'm beginning to think Virginia Beach is kind of boring. All we got is an ocean. And uh, but this is I love it. I love the hill country. I really really do. And I love Bert and I love Becky. How many love your pastors? Come on, do you love them? And this is not the Mutual Admiration Society. Just thank God for great friends that are just with you through the thick and through the thin. They can encourage you uh, and, uh, and encourage you when maybe you need the encouragement. And then rejoice with you when you're rejoicing. Weep with you when you're weeping. There's nothing like friends that actually rejoice when you're rejoicing and weep when you're weeping. There's nothing worse than having somebody who is weeping when you're rejoicing. Or somebody who's rejoicing when you're weeping. You're with me here? So thank God for just tremendous friendships. I was thinking, what would I share this morning? And I got to, I actually, my challenge is never, uh, it's never what to say. Um, because, you know, I've been preaching for over 33 years. And I, I actually speak about five times a week in different um, environments. So every week, five different times, I'm having to come up with something to share in different places and different environment. And so when you do that for 33 years, for five times a week, how many of you have got an arsenal of weapons, of messages? So my challenge is never what to speak, it's what not to speak. Because I have all these messages shouting at me, preach me, preach me. And uh, I really was praying about what to share this morning. I felt like God put a, a word on my heart that actually is a word I've been teaching in our church. I just finished teaching it in our church in Virginia Beach. So uh, if you like, let's all turn in their Bibles to, um, let's have a look here, Nehemiah. And we're going to go through the book of Nehemiah. I was thinking about different visionaries in the Bible. And I want to talk about him this morning. Before I do, let me mention, I do have some resource that is available down the back there. I encourage you to get a hold of this. This is our latest uh, praise and worship album that actually came out of our youth ministry in our church. And uh, this one here is just absolutely Phenomenal. It's the latest and greatest, and I know it will bless you. And then there's a, a book here called The Accent of Leadership. If you haven't noticed already, I've got an accent. But actually, I always think you've got the accent. I don't hear my accent. I hear yours. And uh, it's a great teaching about actually words matter. Words really do matter. And actually, when we talk, people ought to know we're not from here. The Bible says we're aliens. We're just passing through that we belong to a heavenly kingdom. And the moment I opened my mouth, it happened at dinner last night, people at the table next to us go, where are you from? Because they heard my accent. And, uh, and so to me, that's like when people, when we meet people 
who are not in the church and we meet people in everyday life, when we talk, there ought to be something about the way we talk that people know you're from somewhere else. We're citizens of the kingdom, amen? And so that's what that book's all about. And uh, there's a whole bunch of stuff here. Uh, my gosh, look at all this teaching they've sent us. It's amazing. Um, this one's really cool. This one here is called Solo Scriptoris. It's actually the authority. Here's the, here's the title I wanted to give it. I wanted to call it The Authority and the Authenticity of the Bible. And my creative team says, yeah, no, that's not going to work. And so, and so they come up with this idea called Sola Scriptura. And it's, can you trust your Bible? And so it, it's actually a teaching about you can actually rely on the Word of God. And it goes through great lengths, this teaching of showing the credibility of the Old Testament, New Testament, its writings, how God not only inspired the writing of the Word of God, but how He actually inspired the collection of it, the formation of it. So it's a bit of a biblical teaching is what it is. And so just get a hold of all that. It will bless you. Uh, you found Nehemiah yet? So I was thinking about different people in the Bible, and I was thinking, who would be uh, some of the greatest visionaries in the Bible? Not, not just leaders, but visionaries. And not just a, a great preacher in the Bible, but a visionary. And I was thinking about, you know, not just kings, because you could become a king just by birth in the Old Testament. You with me here? But whether you were a visionary or not, is you can have the title, you know what I mean? But are you really that? And so I was thinking, well, there's no doubt Jesus is the greatest visionary of them all. So let's just say he stands alone. Would you agree with that? I mean, he's not to be compared with. He, he is without equal. But thinking about other people in the Bible, the Apostle Paul was a great visionary. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. It's pretty impressive, isn't it? Uh, then I started thinking in the Old Testament, David, King David, was a great visionary. He had a visionary to build God's house. How many thank God for leaders that are visionaries to build the house of God? And, and no doubt, great visionary. And uh, start thinking about Moses. Moses, without a doubt, had a great vision that God gave him to bring all of the children of Israel out of Egypt into the promised land. Great visionary. But I think you cannot go past this man called Nehemiah. Nehemiah actually was, uh, you know, a, 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 a man of uh, the house of Israel that was taken kept into captivity when all of Israel was taken over. And this king called King Xerxes actually appointed Nehemiah to be his cupbearer. Now, we read that in today's world, and we think that's just somebody that just gets to hand the king, um, you know, a glass of water or give him his coffee. But in today's culture and context, that's less of a concern. But back in the day in which this was written, this was the most trusted position. The king literally trusted this individual with the safety of his own life. One of the greatest ways to remove a king in that day was to poison his food or poison his water. So when you're going to appoint someone to be the cupbearer, this person was making sure that the water wasn't poisoned, the food wasn't tampered with, and actually the way in which they did it was they would have to taste the food and the water themselves. So if anyone was trying to poison the king, the person who was the cupbearer would die first. You with me here? So have a know, you better be good at this job if you want to live. And you've got to be really trustworthy. You've got to have the trust of the king because the king is literally putting his life in the hands of this cupbearer. 
So we got this man called Nehemiah, who actually obviously served the king very well. It was, it was an ungodly king. It wasn't anything to do with the house of Israel. He didn't belong there. He belonged in Israel, but they were taken into captivity. And this man called Ezra actually has the vision to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem that was destroyed. And Nehemiah goes and hears that the temple's been rebuilt, but the walls of Jerusalem are not built. So in other words, it's great to have the church doing good, but we got to build walls around it so it can be safe again. Again, put it back in that culture, put it back in that context. We don't have walls around our cities nowadays, but in those days, anybody could come in and take over you again. And wipe you out again. So Nehemiah knew if the house of God was going to stand, we had to rebuild the walls and bring back all the people who were in exile and bring them back. And let's bring kingdom culture. Let's bring our identity. Let's bring our God right back into the middle of where he belongs. And I'm thinking that sounds a little bit like the United States today. Come on, let's bring the kingdom of God back onto our nation. Let's build some walls here. Let's keep bad people out, good people in. Let's, let's, let's build the house of God. Let's love the house of God. So I was thinking about Nehemiah. So here's a couple of thoughts. Are you ready for this? About keys to being a visionary. Now, I don't know what your vision is for your life, but I promise you, you got one. If, you're, if you say, well, I don't have vision for my life. I just want to be a failure. Well, that's your vision. And you're being very successful at it if that's your vision. Amen. You might say, well, I don't know even what what God's called me to do. Um, I want to talk to you about that. I want to help you understand the vision that I believe that can be unlocked inside of you. And not only just you individually, what God's called you to do, but I believe even corporately as a church, as a body of believers, when we can get on the same page with vision, it is amazing what we can do. The Bible says one will put a thousand to flight, two shall put how many? Ten thousand. So you by yourself, you can put a thousand to flight, put you together, ten thousand. I mean, that's exponential. Amen. So Nehemiah was a great visionary. I love this man. I've studied him quite a lot. So let's have a look at a couple of things here. Come down to verse, um, we're going to start in Nehemiah. We're going to start in, uh, let me have a look here, chapter two. But let me just say this before I start. Vision always starts with a burden. If you want to figure out, well, what is it God's called me to do? What's God's vision for my life? It always starts with a burden. Here's Nehemiah. He's the cupbearer to the king. Now, when you, in that day, in that age, if you're the cupbearer, it didn't matter what you had personally going on in your life, but you might be going through uh, mourning the loss of a loved one. You might be, you know, having health challenges, but you were never allowed, if you served in the king's palace, to show any personal pain. You had to separate your, your private life from your serving life. And so you were never actually allowed to go before the king and look unhappy. It just wasn't allowed. You with me here? And here is Nehemiah, who's been serving this king faithfully. This king trusted with his own life. And Nehemiah, one day, he couldn't help himself. He was just down. He was so burdened for the walls of Jerusalem and the people of God to be returned that actually the king goes, what's up, Nehemiah? You got to know right there, Nehemiah could have been killed for that. 
He could have been killed for allowing him to bring his personal problems before the king. But the king obviously liked him. There's a good thought. Amen. And so, so Nehemiah goes, oh, king, I'm sorry. I, I don't mean to, to show, I don't want to wear my heart in the sleeve, but I'm so burdened for the people of Israel. They're in exile and I want to bring them back and I want to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And, and the king goes, have at it. Do it, man. You've been so good to me. He goes, well, king, would you do me a favor? Would you give me a letter um, of, of, of passage so that no one will harm me? Would you actually give me supplies and materials? And can I call in some of the people that you are connected to and get them to provide us? And the king goes, it's all, everything is yours. Go at it. But it all started with the burden. It's something that actually really burdened him. If you want to figure out God's vision that he's put inside of you, the vision, the dream that God wants you to unlock, it starts with what burdens you. And I love it because that's the beauty. I mean, I got a friend, they got a burden to be the president of the United States. That's a good, I don't have no desire. Who would want to be the president of the United States? You with me here? But he does, and I think it's awesome. Amen. I, I got somebody else that loves, you know, the internet and looking at all these different ways they can evangelize on the internet and social media. To me, that's all a necessary evil. I got no passion for the, I mean, I use the internet, but I'm not sitting there going, how can I save the world through the internet? I, you know, somebody else, they go, maybe to be a doctor or someone else to be in medicine, someone else to be a mechanic, whatever, someone else to be a builder, a carpenter, whatever it is that actually lights your candle that gets you up in the morning is a beginning of an indication of God's plan for your life. It's what flows out of you. It's what you care about. It's what gets you out of bed in the morning. Amen. And I remember one time this guy came and says, Pastor, we have so many people in our church that ride motorcycles. Somebody should start a motorcycle group. And he rode a motorcycle. I said, hello, somebody. <laughs> because that's, you could tell that was something that was passionate to him. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. So if you're trying to figure out, well, what's God's vision for my life? What burdens you? But for, some, for me, you know what I love? I love to see people that don't know Jesus find Jesus. That's an indication of what God's called me to do. One of the things I hate is I hate to see people sick. That gives me an indication of what God's called me to do. Be the answer. Pray for the sick. Amen. So you begin to get an idea of God's plan and God's vision that he birthed inside of you by the burdens that are in you. Amen. And so what happens is, look at this here. In Nehemiah chapter 2, it says in verse 18, it goes, And I told them of the hand of my God which had been upon me, and upon the king's words that he'd spoken to me. So they said, as he now talks to the people of Israel, Let us rise and build. And they set their hands to this good work. Look at this. So burden starts, listen, vision starts with a burden. But here's the second thought. Vision requires a team effort. So I said to them, listen to what the king's done. The king's given me permission to go and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And he's gathering a team. He's not going to do it by himself. If you're going to achieve anything great for God, it will never be something you do all by yourself. We need others. And so when I told them how that God had given me this burden, how that the king had given me permission to go and do it, I told the people of Israel, come on. And they said, come, let us rise and build. Can everybody say, come, let us. Let us. Come on, everybody say, come, come. Let, us. let us. Put it together. 
Come, let us. There's something powerful about a people who can get together. They can stand it. Come, let us. Let's do this thing together. I meet people say, no one ever helped me. I'm a self-made man. Everything I've ever done, I just did it all by myself. Nobody ever helped me. And I always think, you got a bad memory. Are you telling me you didn't have a mother that gave birth to you? You didn't have a father that actually helped conceive you? You didn't have someone that raised you? You didn't have someone in school that actually gave you an education? You didn't have people in your life that, you mean, tell me about the breath that's breathing in your lung right now. Where'd that come from? Tell me about the ground. You talk about your business and you built your business all by yourself. Tell me about the people who work for you. Tell me about the connections and relationships. Can I just say that a vision requires a team effort? And I can never forget the fact that God actually brings people into your life to help you see that vision come to pass. Amen. Never lose sight of that. Come, let us. There's something powerful about a marriage when you've got a vision for your marriage to be healthy when you have the come let us kind of idea. Whenever it is, you know, a friend of mine, he's, he's believing God to become a professional golfer. He actually is a professional golfer. He's believing God to make it uh, uh, in the majors. He's believing God to make it. And I've got to tell you, I thank God. He's somebody who realizes the only way he's going to see that, he's got to be the golfer. He's got to have the game, but he's got people teaching him. He's got people encouraging him. He's got parents who've supported him. You never do anything great just by yourself. We need each other. We need each other. We need each other's encouragement. We need each other's, you know, and don't ever be that person that says, I don't need anybody. I just need God. We need each other. Come on, someone say amen. And here's the third thought. Look at Nehemiah chapter 4. It says, so it happened when Semballat heard that we were rebuilding the walls, he was furious and indignant, indignant, and he mocked the Jews. If you have got a vision that God has birthed inside of you. I want to tell you, it will face ridicule and it will face opposition. Sometimes, actually, when you face the opposition, you can think you're out of the will of God. You can think, what's wrong? Something must be the matter. This isn't working. I actually think when you're facing opposition, you're probably right more in the will of God than you've ever realized. Because no great thing that you're going to achieve for God is going to be achieved without people laughing at it and without ridicule. And there will be opposition to your dream. And here the Bible says here that this man called Samballad was literally, uh, was, and can I just say this? Your vision wakes up your enemy. Actually, your vision is here. Samballad comes along when he heard somebody was actually doing something. Amen. Nobody builds a monument to a critic. Amen. He faced opposition. The world will always laugh at the church. It will. The world will never see the church as what we know the church to be. Would you say amen to that? And you just got to realize, I mean, when I was building one of our buildings, one of our campuses in Virginia Beach, I was told, Steve, this is literally what they said. This is the town planning. The city council said, you have not got a snowflake chance in hell of getting city approval to build down there. And there was opposition. Matter of fact, all 12 of the staff planning, city planning, said to me, we do not want Wave Church in this part of Virginia Beach. You're too modern. You're too contemporary. And we don't want you. 
And they said, the answer will be no. And when we actually, I went to talk to one of the business guys who knows all these people. I said, you got to help me out, man. I, I, we got 31 acres of land down there. We want to build a church. And he went and said, let me go and talk to them. And he came back. He goes, Steve, they don't want us. And I said, well, how do we get past no? And I had to learn that you will live life opposed. And what you can't afford to do is become a victim in the process. I could have easily become a victim and, you know, but I just went, okay, because this is God, there will be opposition. But too many people in that moment go, well, it can't be done. Well, do you know when it came to the vote uh, before city council and we finally worked it through? The vote was 11 yeses and one no. The only person that voted against us was the local member that represents us in that area. Not because she was anti-church, she's just anti-everything. And I'm thinking to myself, can I, can I give, don't, don't go to the enemy for permission to exist. Don't, don't be thinking the, the enemy is going to go, come on, come on, just do it all. There's going to be opposition. You've got to learn how to fight. You've got to learn to say, I'm going to do this thing. This is a burden. We've got a team effort going on. And I'm not shocked when the enemy comes. And, you know, when you get on fire for God and you start making decisions to take ground for God, actually, it wakes up your enemy. Amen. Turn to the person next and say, he's preaching better than we're listening. I'm going to read you a few verses here. Look at this. This is the fourth thought about vision. It says, so we built the wall. Everybody say, praise God. So we built the wall and all... And, and all that was on the wall were joined together to the halfway point. Let me say halfway. For the people had a mind to work. Now come down to verse 8. And all of them conspired to come and attack Jerusalem and to create confusion. And now come down to verse 12. And so it was when the Jews who dwelt near them, they came to us ten times. For whatever place you turn, they said, they will be upon us. I want you to notice it was at the halfway point. There's something about halfway when you're fulfilling a vision that is critical to understand. You see, they got it to the halfway point. The people had a mind to work. But at the halfway point, walls were half built. All of a sudden, the attack got really strong. And the attack was 10 times we heard that they're going to wipe us out. The enemy will be upon us. 10 times they heard it over and over and over again. Vision is most vulnerable at the halfway point. I want you to hear it. In other words, you've got to work harder and be more intentional and more strategic at the halfway point than you do anywhere else. I mean, think about it. Think about that. I mean, when you're just getting started, let's say the vision is to get married and you're going to get married. And you know, I mean, when you get married, it's all the excitement of the wedding and all the romance and, you know, all the dating that, get, that go precedes the, a wedding. And, 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 and there's a lot of excitement. There's a lot of focus. There's a lot of, a, there's a lot of agreement. Yeah. Get married, yeah. you know. But you've been married for 10 now, 20 years. And all of a sudden, you've got to be really strategic in those times. To stay happily married. Amen? To go through. And maybe it's to start a business. We're going to start a business. We're going to believe God. We're going to start. And so you get all the business plans. You do all the homework. At the beginning, there's a whole lot of work to see a vision come to pass. Isn't there? At the beginning, there's a lot of, there's a lot of inertia. There's a lot of movement. There's a lot of momentum. You've got to put your shoulder to the grindstone. You've got to push real hard. 
But because the vision's new and exciting, yeah, let's do it. Come on. You know, let's build this church. And people, amen, come on, let's get this thing built. Let's get in this building. So the rallying at the start is there. And then at the, at the, toward the end, you begin to think to yourself, well, it's almost done. You can see the finish line. Well, that creates in and of itself its own excitement and momentum. Because you see the work being point, being brought to a place of completion. So you've got that second wind. You've got that, you know, it's like when I go horse riding with my wife. She loves to ride horses. I hate horses. Well, I don't hate horses. I think they're awesome animals. But I like riding motorcycles. I know the motorcycle is going to go where I want it to go. There's no guarantees with a horse. And the horse knows that I don't know how to ride the horse. And they know, don't they? My, my wife, she, she got her horse under control the whole time. My horse, when we, get, when we turn around the halfway point and now we start heading for home, you know what my horse does every time? He starts running. Why? Because the finish line. He's heading to home. But I don't know how to slow him down. So all I do is throw my arms around his neck and hold on. That's what happens when you see vision almost coming to completion. There's this, you might be tired, but all of a sudden strength comes again. But at the halfway point, that's where you've got to work hard. Come on. And I believe even for as a church here, I'm not saying you're, you're halfway to anything of what God's called you to do. But I want to say, when you've been in a vision long enough, you've got to be just as intentional, more intentional, and more strategic to stay true to that vision in the middle of it. Because that's where you need to make sure you're working. That's when the enemy will work the most. Well, can't see the end in mind. A start was so long ago, you could easily lose heart and give up. Come on, we need people to stay focused at the halfway point. Amen? Whatever it is. Maybe, maybe it's about losing weight. Your vision is to be in better shape. You've got to be intentional. You've got to stay focused. Come on, somebody say amen. I love this one. Come down to uh, Nehemiah chapter 4 and look at verse 16. This one to me is really important. So it was from that time on that half of my servants worked on construction while the other half held the spears. Why? Because the threat of the enemy, that the enemy was going to come. Now watch what happens. And it says here, and, and, uh, and, and they were to, the shield, that they, the, the other half rather, held the spears, the shields, and the bows, and wore the armor, and the leaders were behind all the houses of Judah. Matter of fact, in another place it says that literally there were men working on the wall with a plow in one hand, listen to this, and a spear in the other. You know, I believe if you're a real visionary and you got real vision for your life, you're a good multitasker. See, some people say a person with vision is just so laser focused, they only concentrate being at one thing. I actually don't think that's true. I think a true visionary is a multitasker. You can have a trowel with this hand and you can have a spear in that hand. You're building and you're fighting. You can do two things at once. Now, you only do the things that are going to help, help you build what God's called you to build. But you can multitask. It's not like you're so laser focused, you've got tunnel vision, and you're naive to what actually needs to happen to do this thing. Amen? I think about my life. I'm thinking about, you know, me as a pastor of a church. And I'm thinking, I've had to learn how to be a good multitasker. I'm the CEO of Wave Church. I'm a pastorpreneur. 
I, I, we have a, a, a children's learning center and I oversee that. There's about a, a hundred staff that work in our children's learning center with a Montessori preschool daycare program before and after school program. And, and then there's the pastor of Wave Church and then there's a TV ministry. Then there's a, an author. Then I'm a dad. I'm now a grandfather. I'm a husband. Are you hearing me? There's a, there's a lot of hats I wear. You with me here? You know, when I'm in the pulpit, I, I, I've got a split personality, just so you know. I'm a schizophrenic and so am I. I got a split personality. I've, now, in the pulpit, when it comes to pastoring people, I'm Mother Teresa. Put me in a boardroom and I'm Bill Gates. You don't need Mother Teresa in a boardroom. Well, sometimes you do, actually. And you certainly don't want Bill Gates in your pulpit. Are you hearing me? But you've got to be good. Whatever the vision God's given you, you've got to be good and competent, actually, of knowing what you need to get the job done. A multitasker. And so I know people have got a vision. Somebody I know who says, I believe God's given me the latest and greatest research and development software program for some new business enterprise. And it was impressive beyond words. And, I, and I'm watching him. He's fine-tuning it. He's, he's honing it. And, and I said, how are you dealing with that businessman? He goes, oh, well, I, I haven't sold anything yet. I've got to sell it. And I said, well, what are you doing? He goes, well, I keep, I keep refining it. And I said, that's all good, but you're not paying your bills. And, and, and you need to get on the marketing side. Well, marketing's not my strength. Well, if it's not your strength, but you believe this is the latest and greatest thing, you better get a strength in this because you believe God skilled you and given you a vision to start this company. But if nobody knows about it, nobody's going to buy it. Or at least get the team effort revelation and get someone to come alongside of you that can do it. No, I'm going to do all this because God gave it to me, nobody else. Well, my friend, you will, your product will perish with you. Amen. You've got to know that if you're a visionary, it's not just, well, I, all I want to do is, is, I mean, take an athlete. An athlete is a, you know, they can make millions of dollars being so good at their sport. But if they don't learn how to manage the money, when the money's coming, then after the sport, so many of them have no money because they didn't realize it's not just being a good athlete, it's having a good business head. Come on, somebody say amen. I just want to encourage you. Come on with vision. Allow yourself to become. What are the things I need to do to get me to where God's called me to go? Can you say amen? Praise God. Look at, look at this one. Uh, I love this one. Uh, here's the sixth thought. Nehemiah chapter four. Is this helping anybody? Come on, God's got a vision for your life. I'm trying to maybe just get you to think about what it is that you need to add into your life to see that vision come to pass. God didn't give it to you to mock you. He didn't give it to you to frustrate you. He gave it to you because God is a big God. He's got big plans for your life and he wants to see them come to pass. So I'm looking at Nehemiah. Nehemiah is a key to seeing how vision can come to pass. Look at this one. Nehemiah chapter 4 verse 19. And it says, that, Then I said to the nobles and to the rest of the people, The work is great and extensive, but we are separated from one another on the wall. Everybody look at that. We are separated. It's great. It's expansive. It's extensive. But we are separated from one another. So whenever you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us where that trumpet is, and our God will fight for us. Nehemiah realized that actually the work building these walls was creating gaps 
between one work crew and the next work crew. And so whenever you hear the trumpet, there was an area being attacked. So if you heard that trumpet, everybody's got to run to where the trumpet's being blown because we've got to rally the troops to fight the enemy. In other words, listen to this one. This one's really cool. Catch this one. Vision actually is aware of its weaknesses and its vulnerabilities. You hear it? The work is great. It's extensive. But we're vulnerable. We're separated. There's gaps. There's, there's windows of opportunity. And you as a great leader and as a great visionary, you've got to learn whatever the vision God put in you. If it's to be a good mom, you've got to be aware of the vulnerabilities. You've got to be aware of what's out there, what your kids are hearing in school. You've got to be aware of who their friends are. Come on, someone say amen. You've got to know, where, am, am, I, am I naive to my weaknesses? Am I, am I aware of where the enemy would seek to destroy the vision that God has for my life? And so what is, a, what is a person's greatest strength? It's not what it is, like you might say, for a preacher, their greatest strength is preaching. You know, for an athlete, their greatest strength may be their fitness. No, no. A greatest strength for anybody who's going to do anything to see vision come to pass is an awareness of their weaknesses. That is your greatest strength, to be aware of what is your vulnerabilities. Listen to Nehemiah. We're separated. There's gaps. We are vulnerable to an attack of the enemy. So listen, we've got to rally together. If someone's being attacked, you've got to blow a trumpet. When you hear the trumpet, we can't all be by shoulder by shoulder. There's places where we are vulnerable, but we've got to realize we can strengthen those things. Amen. I'd encourage you. What is your vulnerability would not be somebody else's vulnerability. You know, for one person, you know, to walk past a bar is nothing. For another person to walk past a bar, it's almost impossible. Because there's a vulnerability. For one person to walk past a magazine stand or click on something on the internet is nothing. But for another person to click on something on the internet is a huge, huge temptation. So you can't be naive. If you're going to see vision come to pass, you've got to know what are the vulnerabilities. Where would the enemy seek to take advantage of your vision and see that vision destroyed? You've got to be willing to have a strategy. To That's why we need each other. That's why the church is so powerful. Because the church brings us together where we can be challenged and brought to the surface. The things that we try to conceal, God wants to reveal. Amen. And the Bible says iron sharpens iron. We need each other. The church is a place where you belong. Amen. We need each other. No man's an island. Praise God. Think about it. So what are the, in terms of what God's called you to do, what are the areas of vulnerability and weakness that the enemy would seek to exploit? Everybody's got them, by the way. But if you're not aware of them, you're a very, very uh, vulnerable person that the enemy completely destroy you without you even realizing what he did. Amen? Turn to the person next to you and say, he's preaching to someone else. That's not for me. Just That's, that's for someone else. Come on, someone say it, okay? Look at this next one. I love this. Uh, you know, the whole of chapter 5, I'm just up to Nehemiah chapter 4, if you haven't noticed, but the whole of chapter 5 in the book of Nehemiah, actually, it's amazing because so many times in chapter 5, you know, Nehemiah is saying to him, hey, you guys, listen, we've been freed from our enemy. We've been freed from our oppressor. 
We're now rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. We're protecting the house of God. And we're bringing people back to live in and outside the walls of Jerusalem. But I'm looking at how you're behaving. And you who were oppressed by your enemy, and we knew that the oppression was wrong, you're now oppressing each other. You're now, what they did to you, you're now doing to to your brother. You've got to be careful you don't become like your enemy. Amen? You've got to have this refusal to compromise. Amen. So before, you know, if, 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 if a person who was a slave was abused and oppressed, now the person who was abused and oppressed is abusing and oppressing his God's people. And Nehemiah says, this ain't happening. You're not doing this. You've got to stop this. And there was all sorts of, you know, the children were marrying other people and other nations. And, and they, the Bible says in, in Nehemiah that some of the children didn't even know how to speak the language of Israel. In other words, Nehemiah goes, this ain't happening. This is going to stop. You, you guys are losing the whole point here. We've got to have no compromise. And you've got to have a spirit of no compromise. I remember one time this guy was working for an electronics company and, you know, he's a great young guy in our church. And he said to me, he goes, Steve, you don't understand. I can't be successful in this company unless I lie like everybody else. All the other appliance repairmen are told that when you go to fix someone's washing machine or drying machine, that there's a lot more wrong with it than there. And then the company makes more money. They get a greater commission. And he goes, I can't be successful unless I lie. And I'm going, my friend, that's the price of your integrity, huh? You, you don't believe God can bless you by being honest? Are you telling me that the only way for you to be successful is to become like the world? Why don't you believe God to be a standout, upright man? Why don't you believe God that God will bless you in your integrity? But he was so convinced that the only way he could be successful was to rip everybody else off like everybody else is ripping everybody else off. No, my friends, we can be blessed if we refuse to compromise. God is going to be with us. Come on, somebody say amen. I got this friend, uh, he, um, he owns a printing machine business, and he's uh, very, very successful at it. He sells them all over the world. And, and uh, he said to me, he goes, Pastor, would you pray for me? I said, what's up? He goes, I'm in a lot of trouble. I've got all these um, uh, outstanding bills, and I've got to pay them. And I've got to sell three pieces of machinery, he goes, within 30 days so that I can pay these bills. And if I don't pay these bills, I've got a cash flow crisis and I'm in all sorts of trouble with the banks. I said, come on, let's pray. So we prayed. We said, Lord, we pray for these three machines to sell at a good price and let them sell quick in Jesus' name. Well, he rings me a day later. He goes, this guy came in and he brought all three machines. He gave me cash right there, millions of dollars. Well, that would have been a clue right there, the fact that the guy gave him cash, millions of dollars. But I thought, well, it's an answer to prayer. We prayed, and a cash buyer comes in. So now he's, he's figuring out where he's got to install these machines, and he's got to figure out where they're going to go. And to his horror, he discovers, this is back in Australia, that where they were going to go, the person who bought the printing machines was the biggest printer of pornography in Australia. Praise God, even the sound system didn't like that comment. And he rang me up. He goes, what do I do? If I don't now, I, I've got a signed contract. I've banked the money. 
I've agreed to it, but I didn't know who he was and what he represented. We're talking some of the most awful pornography, the magazines that are filthy and disgusting. And he goes, I can't sell him the machines. And I said, well, what are you going to do? He goes, I don't know. He can sue me. And this guy needed those machines running. Otherwise, he'd lost millions of dollars because of his magazines. I'm thinking, no, no problem there. And uh, he goes, what do I do? I said, well, whatever you decide, man, I, I, I'm with you. Because we prayed. Um, you, could, you could look at it two ways. You could say the wealth of the wicked is laid up for the just. But you've got to look at it in the sense of you don't want to be somebody who's thinking you're helping, promoting, and, and doing that. So I said, whatever you decide, I, I just want you to know, I'm with you. And he goes, Steve, I've decided I'm not going to sell it to him. I just can't in good conscience. I'm going to re-go back on the contract. And this man rang him up and said, I will sue you for everything. I need those machines. I need them. My other machines are down. This is a new place we're opening up. And I've got a distribution date. And he goes, I will destroy you. He says, do what you've got to do. I'm a Christian. And I do not condone what you're doing. And I'm against what you're doing. And I actually, in good conscience, cannot sell it to you. I understand that you legally can sue me. I understand you can ruin me. And I'm willing to face the ruin. But I just want you to know why I can't do it. And so he rang me up and said, Steve, he's going to destroy me. What do we do? I said, let's pray. Sometimes we forget. You know, what do I do? Pray. Let's pray. And so I pray, God, do not let that man sleep one night. Lord, work on his conscience. Let him see that this man's an honorable man. And he's not judging him, but he cannot condone what this man does. And so we prayed, Lord, sleepless nights. Torment him in his sleep. Lord, cause him to back off the lawsuit. He was going to win the lawsuit. He was going to destroy this man's business. And this man was willing to lose his business over this refusal to compromise. One day he rings this friend of mine up and says, you need to come into my office. I, I need to talk to you. This is like the day before a court case. And he goes, I got to tell you, since you've told me that you won't sell me this equipment, and since you've told me that you wouldn't do this because of your integrity, he goes, I can destroy you and I have every right to destroy you. I could make a lot of money out of this. He goes, there's only one problem. I can't sleep. I can't get you out of my head. I can't get you out of my mind. I've never met a Christian like you before. He goes, you are tormenting me. He goes, will you please, I'm going to let go. I'm not going to sue you. Whatever you're doing, would you stop it? And my friend looked back and, and he saw that in, when he walked into the printing shop where this guy his machines were, he noticed that he stepped on a big blob of red ink and he dragged that red ink right across this man's beautiful carpet. And he looked and he went, oh God, now I've ruined his carpet. And he said, I'm so sorry about that. You don't know if in the printing industry, that stuff doesn't come out of carpet. The carpet's ruined. And uh, he said, every time you see that, I want you to think about the blood of Jesus that was shed for those girls that you are putting on magazines. And Jesus loves them. And I want you to not just think about the blood of Jesus for them, but the blood of Jesus for you. And this man says, please, just go away. Can I tell you, sometimes we think the only way we can see a vision come to pass is become like the world. Nothing can be further from the truth. Our God will bless us if you'll keep your integrity. Come on, give a lot of hands if you receive the word. Amen. Well, 
you know, there's so many other things we could talk about vision and time is gone. Has this helped anybody? Come on, am I stirring up some vision in you today? Come on, in you, come on, whatever that is. I want to stir up some vision. I don't just want to stir up your individual vision, but I believe God's called me to stir up this church's corporate vision. Come on, if at the halfway point you've got to be more strategic, work harder, then put your shoulder in. Come on, create the momentum, put your shoulder in, push, keep on pushing. Go forwards. Don't worry about the enemy. The world will never celebrate us. Keep your integrity. Thank God for the people that are in your life. Amen. We can do it. It can be done. And I'll just finish with a simple thought as the singers, musicians, where are they coming back? Can we get the singers, musicians? Come on back. Praise the Lord. There you are. Look at that. Singers and musicians that are actually in a church service. Isn't that good to see? Praise the Lord. Amen. Come on, give them a hand. Aren't they great? You know, the Bible says that Nehemiah, through the organization of his leadership and through the refusal to compromise, and even when they said, come down off the wall and talk to us, he just said, no, no, what I'm doing is great. Why would I waste my time talking to you? Sometimes you've got to be careful. Sometimes the world wants to distract you, get you off the wall that God's called you to do. And by maybe just trying to say, hey, come on, let's talk about what you're doing. No, no, I'm not going to talk about it. I'm going to do it. But in 52 days, Nehemiah, 52 or 56, I've had a blank. 50, 52 days, Nehemiah rebuilt the entire walls around Jerusalem. In 52 days. Here's what I want to close with this thought. Look at me. I know it's a scary thought, but look at me. Vision is achievable. God did not put it in you to mock you. God put it in you because it's in you to see it come to pass. But I think there's certain times in the Bible we read about great stories that help us illustrate and understand that a vision that's going to come to pass, you need to understand the whole story. Amen. And Nehemiah, that's a great whole story. As you read through the book of Nehemiah, and you, you read about one time he was challenging, um, you know, there was one guy, this is, you know, the guy, um, Tobiah? He was a bad brother. He was trying to kill Nehemiah. He was trying to discredit Nehemiah. And the Bible says Nehemiah went back to King Xerxes to get to, because he gave his word that he'd return. But then King Xerxes gave him permission to come back. And in Nehemiah's absence, guess who moved into the temple that Ezra built? It was Tobiah. And he moved in there and he was literally keeping the offering for himself, the tithe. They threw out the musicians and singers. Why do the musos and singers always get ripped off? They threw out, true story, they threw them out. And it says, and, and, and then he says, and Nehemiah, when he came back and saw what the people had done, this is literally, you ever felt this way, Bert, sometimes as a pastor? You ever felt this way with sometimes, you know, you see your enemy for what he is? And, and it says, Nehemiah went to these people and says, you got to stop this. You can't let this happen. And he says, I called down curses on them. I beat them and I pulled their hair out. How would you like Nehemiah for your pastor? He goes, listen to me. I beat them. I called down curses on them and I pulled the hair out. How many thank God we don't live in the Old Testament? How many thank God we don't have Nehemiah as our shepherd? Amen. But here's the thing. The brother had passion and he had a refusal to compromise. He was jealous. Can I tell you, your vision's worth fighting for. Come on, stay on your wall. 
Do what God's called you to do. Stay in that marriage. Stay with that dream. Your vision is worth fighting for. Amen. Come on, give a lot of hands. Amen. God, no doubt, has a vision for this church, not just in the name, but it's prophetic gate of the city. Do you believe that? I believe your best days are yet ahead of you. As a church, individually, whatever it is that God's put in your heart, make sure it's a kingdom purpose. Make sure it's a, it has a kingdom purpose to it. Make sure that in the midst of all the vision that you have, that it does line up with the vision of this house. Amen? Amen? Whatever God's called you to do, there's got to be a kingdom purpose to it. I'm here today because I love your pastors and I love you.